0: The views and opinions expressed on this show belong solely to the hosts and their guests and do not reflect the views of any outside institutions unless explicitly stated. What's up, everyone? My name is Steve Vandewal, and I'm the host of Cannabis Cum Laude, a podcast devoted entirely to cannabis. This podcast will cover a full spectrum of topics, including cultivation, business, medicine, politics, culture, advocacy, and everything in between. Because let's face it, the cannabis industry is very complicated. It's robust and it has a ton of moving parts. So it's gonna be my job to help you understand it a little bit better. So tune in every week for a brand new episode. And if you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review the show. And if you really, really, really like the show and are interested in sponsoring, please shoot me an email at logistics at CannabisCumLaude.com. Now enjoy the show. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Cannabis Cum Laude. I'm your host, and I'm here with a mentor of mine and a buddy of mine, Dylan Proctor, Dylan Proctor is the founder and CEO of Mainstrain, the founder and CEO of East Coast Cure, which is a craft cannabis cultivation facility and brand, uh, and also the founder and CEO of Made Med Genetics, who has some really exciting stuff in the pipeline uh, that I was privy to earlier in December. Um, Dylan, thanks so much for, uh, for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Of course. Glad to be here. So as I mentioned, you know, I've seen, I've been up to Maine a couple times. I've seen your facility firsthand. I'll tell you this, the honest to God's truth. You're one of the most talented cultivators I've ever met in my life with some of the best weed I've ever smoked. And I've smoked a lot of weed from all around the country and all different growers, but not only are you a talented cultivator, you also own Mainstrain, which is an agriculture equipment distributing company, which I also work very closely with. Uh, all the w- equipment and 90% of the equipment in my rooms come from you guys, and it's just been a fantastic experience. And you also own Made Men Genetics, which has got some really unique genetics coming down the pipeline. Where Take me back to how this all started. Uh, So I-
1: goes back quite a ways. I I got into the industry when I was about 14 years old, uh, just growing kind of in the traditional market, uh, learning the ins and the outs. Then as I got to become about 15 or 16 years old, I became one of the youngest med patients in Maine at that time. Um, I then started growing some big plants in like 100, 200 gallon pots out in the woods out behind our property. Um, started with outdoor, kind of moved that into seasonal greenhouses, um, doing, uh, hand light deprivation, pulling tarps every day, twice a day for 70 plus days, half of the, half the summer, um, started doing kind of some garage grows, uh, then built our, uh, fully automated light deprivation, um, greenhouse, uh, probably about seven years ago, um, that then led into a 30,000 square foot warehouse, um, that then led into a tissue culture lab with, uh, uh, distribution leading up behind that. Um, and then, uh, genetics of the past year, where we've just started breeding those and getting ready to start releasing those to the masses. So it's been a, it's been a almost a 12 year journey.
0: Um, it's, uh, it's almost all I know now. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. It's, uh, I, like I said, I had the pleasure of over the last couple of years coming up to visit and seeing the facility and being able, you know, really seeing how a craft facility and a fully automated facility is designed from irrigation to, you know, everything. How, when you, you know, in terms of facility design, how, what is your process in kind of designing a facility? You know, what things are most important to consider when building out a facility? I mean, usually
1: we're, we're always going to start with what the client's looking for first. Um, we're always going to see, I mean, it, on the distribution side, when we're setting up for a client, we're saying if they're focused on primarily extraction, nursery mm-hmm. for clones, uh, only flower production. So we first see exactly what they're looking to do and then see how efficiently we can build these rooms and facilities while, uh, maximizing the flower canopy or whatever they're trying to maximize in revenue, um, while keeping a streamlined operation, um, not making it so you're having to go from one side of the building to do one task. Yeah. Um, so we try to keep it very streamlined kind of everything pretty close, but while maximizing, uh, the maximum revenue that the, the client is going for, um, typically, uh, canopy flower and canopy size so typically we start there and then we kind of work our way backwards with uh all the diff- different rooms you need as far as a dry room trim room uh, tissue culture if you if you're into that or if it's cloning or if you're going to be sourcing clones and you don't need that um, so it kind of really every every facility's a little bit
0: of a beast of its own Yeah, it's funny, Ramsey and I on the last episode were talking about something similar and how, you know, at some point, you know, the actual not to undermine cultivation by any means but at some point it's really environment good genetics and following a recipe not to oversimplify but once you have that dialed in you know you have it dialed in it's really the, the technical side and where we start to look in the legal market whether winners are win and the losers are losing is efficiency right and we were talking about you know how many you know if you have your your bedroom or your clone room you know three rooms down from your flower room you know, taking those trips, that extra 100 feet or 50 feet, making that trip 50 times a day, that's dollar, you know, that's dollars and cents. And in a legal market where taxes are high and regs are high, every second counts and every dollar counts. So it sounds like you really follow that same mentality in terms of maximizing efficiency. Is that fair?
1: Yes, absolutely. So, I mean, there's countless facilities I go to that are, have an upstairs, prison a downstairs, and they're constantly going up and down the stairs all day just for the day or whatever it be. And like you said, it's up to dollars and hours wasted that could be put elsewhere within the facility. And so, I mean, that's typically what we start with when I say efficiency and designing the facility, because if it's designed properly and efficiently, then it's going to be saved dollars in the end.
0: That's right. You know, you had mentioned a couple times already tissue culture, um, and this is something that seems to really be emerging and becoming quite popular, especially as we start to see things like HLVD, ravaging crops and pests and all sorts. You know, this is really uh, something that I think is going to be a game changer. And, you know, I've seen it with my own eyes. You guys have a really awesome tissue culture facility or er, room in your facility um but let's start what exactly is tissue culture and why did you decide to make moves to implement you know a lab in your facility
1: uh so i first learned uh about tissue culture myself probably about four or five years ago Uh, it's a it's a process that's been in agriculture for many years uh earlier than like 1950 i'm not sure the exact date but it goes back way, especially in ornamentals and flowers and other crops, um, around the world. And, um, uh, what I'd first started seeing about and this was prior to hot byroid was that you could clean and revigorate old genetics and also kind of store them in a, in a small area, um, which for years, ever since I started, I've been collecting hundreds of genetics and right now I have over 300 different genetics currently in storage and uh when i was keeping those as mother plants um that was tons of wasted uh square footage and uh labor daily just to keep plants and strains alive over the years that we weren't even currently using so uh i knew it was something we had to get into and then uh what kind of progressed it to get done even quicker was um, seeing hobblade, biroid and all the other, uh, things popping up around the industry and not being able to source clean genetics. So, um, we decided to start building a lab in house. Um, we started working with some pretty reputable people in the industry, um, learning some of their tech just because it was nothing of my specialty. I've known tons about growing for years and other aspects of that. But, uh, when it came to tissue culture of, uh, Fairly new. And that's why we uh, partnered with, uh, capable biotech out in California to, uh, kind of help show us the ropes and train our employees. And, uh, cause we also do uh, cleaning of genetics, um, in and out of house. So when we take in out of house genetics, we like to have, uh, have that experience behind us, have an experienced employee that's been doing this for five plus years, um, uh, come in, clean the genetics for that client. Um so it's none of our newer employees working on any of that that stuff because they've only been doing it for about two years now. But uh we've had great success so far with well over twenty different clients just here in Maine. Um but yeah, we mainly do it for storing and cleaning genetics here, um uh as well as keeping them safe for years and kinda resetting that biggest gross we have some that are 20 25 years old that go wow. back into the early 90s that we've had to completely reset
0: and kind of reshow what that plant really has yeah i remember actually the first time that i came to visit you and actually i think it was the first time that we met when i came up to maine there was a, a tech from apical that was actually there doing work under the hood and i and i got to you know kind of see it firsthand um, i still am yep. kind of uh, uneducated on it so f- let's pretend for a second that i have you know i'm up in maine and i have some really fire genetics that i want to preserve and clean and Walk me through kind of the process of what happens when, you know, I give you my genetics, you know, what does that process of cleaning them and storing them actually look like?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, typically uh, we, when we work with a client, we, we start with as much material as we can get. And we start with, um, doing what's called a, a meristem cell incision. Um, the meristem cell is the, the newest growth on the plant. It's that the very, tip of the plant um and so we do an incision go into the plant under a microscope it's completely naked to the eye it's invisible unless you're looking at it under a microscope we remove that uh cell out of the plant um we put that into a, a special uh agar that agar will regenerate the that cell over about two month period that cell will grow back into a little uh node like you would see on the plant um and then you would put that into a next stage one and stage two uh media and so forth until it's completely acclimated to bring out of tissue culture and re uh uh, introduce into the nursery Um, but yeah that's it's mainly it. It's, it's, it's a long, like almost 89 to 18 months process. There's wow. definitely a lot of, uh, things that go in, uh, the process, but, um, mainly it's just a kind of a long process of switching medias, kind of getting it used to different hormones and getting it ready to come out of uh, tissue culture by acclimating it, um, to the environment, um,
0: yeah, it's but definitely. Yes, a, it's just a-, a long-term investment. It sounds like I know that. Yeah, I mean, but it's definitely valuable. I mean, if you are sitting on, you know, you spend years phenol hunting, you know, something that nobody else has. The last thing you want is to have all that hard work go down the drain because of a viroid or a pest. So, as long it is as long of a process as it is, and you know, I'm I'm assuming it can be quite costly if you're if you're your whole business is built on prize genetics. It definitely is worth investing in preserving them. And, you know, not like you said, you know, square footage is, dollars and cents, right? So a lot of these, you know, we're seeing it here in New York right now as the industry starts to get off the ground and small garage growers and, you know, a few like growers are starting to get these opportunities to, you know, enter the big leagues with these real facilities. And, you know, every square foot is is an expensive investment in an industry where raising capital is very tough you know so not only is it great from a genetics preservation point but simply from a cost-saving perspective in terms of, of square footage I mean there's tremendous value in something like this for real
1: yes absolutely and uh we make sure that every time all our new potlers and plants coming out of uh, tissue culture are uh going to be our new mothers and that's where our clones come from then after that it's cycle out again from tissue culture so we're guaranteed uh bug free pest free uh mold free um every plant that comes out of TC is tested for fusarium poplate, and uh, a few other things but uh we're always making sure our genetics are nice and clean ready for the next round and ready for the clients um just because there's no point in starting with a sprained ankle um if you go into a grow and you've got a plant that's starting with thrips or gnats or whatever it may be, um, it's always going to show in the yield in the end. Yep. As we've always noticed from doing tissue culture, you're going to see at least usually on average five to 10% increases across the board from wow. what you were seeing before. Yeah. I mean, so yeah, and that's helping save on space and, and money and, and dollars, but it's going to help increase the yield which is also a return in itself so across the board i i see it being a standard throughout the industry within the next five years it's going to be in majority to all facilities and uh, that'll be what all labs will be catering to um for the nurseries um
0: i see it definitely just being in the future though absolutely and i think like you know you obviously have gotten a, a good jump on it you know being in tune with the industry and what's going on so uh, i'm hoping to see i know that there's like i've heard of one tc lab in new york but man what i if you ever want to prop up a tc lab in rochester man i'm telling you there'd be a there's big business to be yeah. had so um we keep hearing yeah. about hop latent. <laughs> um you know historically you've heard about your common pests powdery mildew and thrips and all sorts of aphids and stuff like that. But hoplatin seems to be something new that's really kind of causing a lot of destruction. I've had some people ask me about it. I'm not super uh, educated on hoplatin. Could you walk me through exactly what hoplatin is and what it does to the plants? So it's, it's, uh, it's known as like a nutting virus. What it will do
1: is uh, it will get into the genetics. Um, Sometimes, some. Sometime sometimes some of these plants are asymptomatic. They won't even show the, the signs of it. And it'll get into the other genetics by uh, mechanical transfer, whether that be uh, cutting a branch with some scissors, touching some plants with your hands, and then touching another plant. Um, that virus is going to get into your plant. And where a lot of genetics are, sorry, not genetics, but where a lot of different diseases that happen in plants and viruses um, can kind of easily be taken care of through more simple measures um with kind of cloning away from it or resetting it or um just cleaning it um but hopefully there is no way to get rid of it unless you're going in and doing what i said earlier with a meristem cell incision um just because it, it, it lives in the vascular tissue of the plant and um that cell Uh, you're able to get all the vascular tissue off of it and uh, basically without that you're kinda dead in the water as far as saving that plant so um, tissue culture is completely necessary for this virus and viroid and that's the thing too is it's not a virus it's a viroid and vi are significantly worse than viruses with how they spread and uh, continue to live in the plant. so it's 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 definitely a, a troubling thing in the market, and they have done some studies in California recently. And over eighty percent of the nurseries uh, across California have it in their nurseries. So it's kind of spreading like wildfire. It also can spread through seed production. So people that are getting seeds and thinking they're getting brand new, clean genetics, there's also chances they're they're going to be getting hoplaid, depending on the how reputable the breeder is. Um, so you really have to be careful Nowadays because you can Completely ruin an operation uh, And it's 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 also not Easily killed through uh, Standard procedures That most growers have been used to Over the years like uh, just Standard alcohol things like That a lot of these things Are not going to kill this thyroid. Um, So you have to You have to really do your research um, We like to use Uh Definitely like bleach, uh, Vercon S. There's a few different things, um, you can use to help kind of soak and sanitize your tools in between, uh, in between cloning or other things like that. But, uh, you really got to be careful. Um, you don't want this virus to spread. The, the, main, the, the main source is taking in unknown genetics. So if you're ever going to take in genetics, you, you, you for sure should get a test first. Uh, quarantine your plants, always, you never ever just bring them into your, your main stock or mother stock, um, you just, you just never know, even if it's your, your best friend or you know forever, you are definitely gonna want to test first, because like I said, there's a great chance the plants are asymptomatic and not even showing signs of this pyroid.
0: I know it's one thing that I hear a lot, you know, from friends and small growers is, you know, oh, I took this new clone in from a buddy of mine or my uncle and, you know, nobody thinks and, you know, I'm sure whoever gave him the clone had no idea that, they, you know, there was something intrinsically wrong with it, but You know, I always tell people, if you're going to buy clones, make sure you're getting it from a reputable company. Make sure there's test results. You know, I'm a fan. I like Boston clones. They come, you know, guaranteed pest and disease free with paperwork and stuff like that. And there's, you know, I'm sure companies like Made Men Genetics will have, you know, all that similar paperwork and kind of that uh, paper trail. Um, And that's something I really want to talk a bit about right now is, you know, made men genetics and, you know, kind of what you've been working on, you know, the last year or two with some of your new genetics. We were just down, you know, Ramsey and I actually were talking about you on the show last time about how we met at the tasting party up in in Bangor, which is an absolute blast, by the way. I, I hope I get an invite to the next one. Um, and we were Definitely. able to, to firsthand sample a lot of your new phenos that you've been working on uh, for the last you know, year or two. Walk me through that process of, you know what you've exactly been working on and, and why you, diso- you know why you uh, kind of focus on the genetics that you chose?
1: Yeah, so uh, I kind of started Made Men Genetics with a, a friend and partner of mine that uh, goes back well over 10 years uh kind of when i was getting into the beginning of this industry um back then they had uh they had just found the uh seed of what we grow uh blue cookies that nowadays there's a few few different phenos of blue cookies out there but the one we grow um was found by us and uh pheno hunted by us um there was only two seeds found in uh in a about a fifty pack of of flour, um, so it was uh, it was it was very very rare find. Um, and then about ten years later, 2019, I took that blue cookies we've been growing for ten years, um, uh, reversed it, got some feminized pollen from it, crossed it to all the hundred plus different genetics I've been collecting over the ten plus years, um, and then over that after. 2020 uh, we've been testing it up until now all those different genetics um, in Oklahoma Maine in uh, California uh, indoors outdoors greenhouse uh, soil hydro all different styles Uh, we wanted to really test these genetics um, in every aspect before we release them to the public Uh, We wanted to make sure how stable they were um, make sure there was no no problems uh, as far as germination any problems with environments anything like that we really wanted to put a lot of testing into these genetics before we just released them to the masses so a lot of hard work and time and resources have gone into these genetics um, which i know a lot of genetic companies don't do nowadays Uh, a lot of them will just kind of throw some pollen and release seeds so we're, we're really doing the due diligence on these and we plan to release them here either this month or next month, but definitely the beginning of this year in 23, they'll be on the market.
0: Hell yeah, very excited about that. Um, yes. I want to talk a little bit about what's going on in the main market. Um, I'm always interested to understand markets state by state. You know, Obviously, I'm, I'm pretty in tune with what's going on. In, you know, We always hear mar- about New York or California or Colorado, and those are always the staples that people talk about. But there's other markets that have come online, like Michigan and Maine, which have their own kind of unique personalities. You know, talk to me a little bit about what's going on in the Maine market right now and kind of what's been happening over the last five years. Uh, so Maine, it's it's a, it's a very
1: progressive market. Um, we've uh we're actually one of the oldest markets there has been as far as a medical program goes um the medical program in maine first started in 1999 and then it kind of opened up a bit more in 2009 um, with more development to the program making it more accessible to more patients instead of just terminally ill cancer patients and things like that um so Uh, over the past 10 years in my involvement, I've seen tons of progress as far as more openness to more, uh, more licenses, more, uh, capability of what you're able to do, um, more access, more patients, um, able to open up more stores for growers, um, before it was very, very monopolized how many stores there could be and how many licenses there could be, um that's now not so much a thing, but with that comes a lot of, a lot of great growers and a lot of competition. So you really have to be on top of what you're doing and, uh, growing a high quality product because there is definitely tons of great canvas here in Maine. That's it's a, it's not a new program. Uh, we've been here doing it for 10 years, at least, um, it, there's tons of, Family members that go back in the 80s and 90s that have been doing it forever. Here, um, it really reminds me of like a Northern California vibe. It's, it's very uh, grassroots. Everybody kind of knows each other. Yep. Um, so it's it's a pretty cool program. Um, there's no real hard barrier of entry. It's it's pretty pretty easy to get into. Um, so it's a it's a pretty good program in that way. I like how close knit the community is we all kind of really work together to make sure the program stays the way we like it just because there's always big corporations coming in trying to change uh the rules kind of get it back monopolized in their favor um, but we have some great coalitions here in maine that uh keep it uh grassroot.
0: Solid. Yeah, grassroots and and craft is where I think, you know, the industry lives and and thrives. You know, we're dealing with the same thing right now in New York where it's kind of like a two-market thing where you have your MSOs and your corporate, you know, kind of companies, and then you have your craft farmers, you know, of your small to medium-sized businesses. And, you know, just like any industry, whether it's the beverage industry or the alcohol industry, the food industry, there's always going to be players of all sizes. You're going to have your craft and you're going to have your, you know, your corporate. And that's just the reality of you know any market, uh, but this market oh, I yeah. think is particularly unique because people you know this is not only a recreational thing but it is a medicinal thing, and I've noticed you know people are much more likely to spend the few dollars extra for that craft cannabis, right? That really high quality cannabis. And I personally know a lot of people who, you know, will pass on the joint of something of really low quality because they really want that high quality. And I think it all starts, like you said, with grassroots and, you know, small and craft cultivators working together. I just think that makes the world go round. And that's something we're really trying to build here in New York. Um, Yeah. What would you, what would you say, what would you say have been the biggest challenges you faced as a grower in Maine? Uh, the biggest challenges, I mean, with, uh,
1: any new program, there's always developments, there's always rule changes that you do development. So it's always kind of been, a uh, on the fly type thing as far as having to development or to develop to the program as it develops. So, um, that's kind of been one of the biggest things, but like I said before, I'd be, I'd say the biggest thing and challenge in Maine is making sure you're growing quality product because it's uh there's tons of great products here in maine so um there's really not much room for error if you really want to uh thrive in this market uh, you're gonna have a great great reputation great brand behind you uh, and uh be putting out fire quality always and working within your community so that's kind of it's always been our Challenges and always finding like uh, quality workers and quality teammates. Um, so it's kind of the struggles you'll see in almost all markets That's and right. all places. But it's it's uh, what makes us us and
0: what kind of the helps stick out from the competition. Yeah, I tell everybody all the time. You know, I think a lot of people tend to get nervous when they hear you know, oh, the MSOs are coming in or these all these licensees and competition. You know, am I going to make it? And I always tell them, if you're growing quality or you're making quality edibles, whatever you're doing in this space, if it's quality and you, you know, you're gonna survive, right? Good weed will always be smoked and always sell right? That's just a fact. When you start cutting corners and you start, you know, decreasing the quality of your nutrients and anytime you cut corners is when your business is going to fail. But if you're always putting your best foot forward and you're always really trying to maximize quality and push the limits, whether you're running 20 lights or 500, if you're pushing quality, you're always going to win, you know? And, uh, i've noticed that with you guys you know every time i come up i always try to buy something different i'm always like oh man how am i going to smoke this before i smoke all this before i get on the plane tomorrow and uh you know you're just in a, an attestation to you know quality will always survive so major props to you uh you're definitely somebody i really look up to and i think a lot of cultivators should look up to as somebody who's been doing it and doing it right um, you know with that being said like i said earlier the new york market right now is in its infancy we're in the first year of licenses, and although you know it's been kind of a fumbled rollout, to be honest, we're starting to see some traction, and we're starting to see you know some uh, more licenses being allocated, and the, the industry is really starting to come online. What would you? What advice would you give to cultivators entering a new market? Uh, the biggest thing. Just like I'd said about Maine, where it's
1: it's developed so much over the years, um, being in it firsthand over, over the past 10 plus years. Um, I really suggest everyone stay very involved with their local and state meetings um, that always have like proposals for rule changes, um, just because, like I said, it's very beginning. Um, you guys have a very great opportunity to make this uh amazing program and if everyone stays on it and works together um it's going to be something amazing um just like you said there will always be msos and corporations and politicians that will try to corner the market and uh, try and do ensure that the, um, the small craft farmers don't make it but as long as you guys unify and stay together and work together you guys will always win and that's uh one of the biggest keys and uh just making sure this program doesn't get overtaxed and uh just as you know with other major programs out there right now with like california and other places if it's overtaxed it just ruins the legal market that everyone built um it's uh i mean we all came from the illicit market so i've never been against that i never would uh knock it um but i know that for the legal people that are looking to make a a legal program and do it right um you just got to kind of work with your state and city um to make sure this program rolls out correctly and uh the patients are the ones that don't suffer because if they suffer they're going to be the ones that just buy off the illicit market who knows what they're they're getting just untested unknown product. so it's just like I said, making sure these growers really unify and make sure to make this a great program for for all of you. And I think with uh, your micro licenses that are coming out there, it's looking like a great opportunity yeah. for a lot of you. Um, so I think it's a it's going to be a great program.
0: Yeah, I definitely think that we have an obligation as as operators to be advocates as well. You know, there's a lot of. We've seen a lot of, you know, not to knock anyone, but we've seen a lot of suits and people who, quite frankly, I don't think really represent the true industry doing a lot of the lobbying and not saying it's all, you know, malintentioned or done a bad job. But the people who've been doing it, you know, in the underground market, in the traditional market, those are the people that know what's going on. Those are the people whose voices are need to be heard and while sometimes you know we've we've re- we've noticed this in the state market you know the office of cannabis management has really not been very great at communicating leading, leaving a lot of people kind of in the dark <laughs> um, but i like you yeah. said i think people need to focus less on what's going on at the state at the highest level the federal government and talk to your local officials because more often than not they are accessible And I I can speak from Rochester, I can't really speak from any other parts of the state. Our politicians and leaders are very cannabis forward. They're very in tune with what's going on and, and how this industry should be set up and they listen. Um, so, you know, any, any operators out there, wherever you are on the supply chain right now, you know, like Dylan said, get involved in these community meetings, write your letters, submit your public comments and talk to your local officials because there is strength in numbers and, you know, maybe little old me may not be able to have an impact at the state level, but a bunch of little old me's teamed up with local policymakers, you bet your ass will probably be able to make some waves. So, you know, I, I, I couldn't agree more with what you just said. Yeah, it's a uh, it's definitely a thing of uh,
1: competing in numbers because I mean the the MSOs and people they have plenty of plenty of money and resources and connections. So the only way to really fight back is unify and make sure you guys stay on top of your uh, your program and it stays what you guys wanted. So that's my biggest thing. I would suggest to everybody and anybody and not just New York, any new upcoming market um stay involved stay uh reading the regulations make sure nothing's uh in the fine print it's gonna ruin the medical program or rec program um so that's really what i would suggest to everyone out there
0: and more often than not it's you know when especially when it comes to like you know cultivation regulations and stuff like that you know a lot of the the politicians that are writing these regs they're not really in tune with what's going on from that, you know, level. I mean, most, politicians have been systematically prevented from even using cannabis because of the legality around being in politics and law enforcement and using cannabis. So there's a lot, there's a big gap of education and, you know, even, you know, a lot of the laws that we're seeing kind of are head scratchers, you know, like, why would you do this? And not, why would you do this? You know, that doesn't make any sense. And it's not necessarily malintention. It's, they just don't know. And unless you're in the trenches and you're actually doing it, you know, you don't really know. You know, there's still things that you and I are probably learning every single day that somebody who is, you know, writing policy has no idea, has no idea what tissue culture is or has no idea how to run a nursery and has no idea, you know, some of the sustainable measures that you can use to have a more sustainable, you know, there's a whole laundry list of things. So, you know, just going back to what you said, get involved, you know, I think a lot of people right now are in this weird position where, you know, they're, they're, they're starting to see some, you know, traditional market operators come to the surface, uh, but there's still a little bit of fear. Uh, And rightfully so, you know, people who've been doing this a long time, you know, to come out in the woodwork and say like, hey, this is what I've been doing, but here's my advice. You know, that takes some cojones. So um, again, I couldn't agree more. Get involved in local and state politics and, uh, you know, grassroots, you know, it really can make a difference. It's a little... It's a little harder to make policy change when you don't have big corporate bucks and expensive lobbyists behind you, but you best bet your ass that you can get it done, but it is a, a strength in numbers game for sure. Yeah. Like you said, it's a lot of just uh, sometimes
1: not malintention. It's a lot of it's uh, they just don't know. And so without you and people there, um, it's going to be things that you will have your heads scratching just because you're not sure what these guys are talking about because they don't know you that's right so without you guys there and helping guide them through it uh that's that's where it all starts and that's what's gonna from five to ten years from now really dictate what this program's going to look like
0: for all of you amen to that dude well listen i uh I always love chatting with you. I, uh, I always, you know, appreciate the mentorship and Hey, I, I send Dylan probably a text message at least once a week. What do I do with this? What do I do with this? And you're always very responsive. I really appreciate it. You've really helped me level up my game as I'm sure you've let, helped a lot of other people level up their games. Uh, I really have a, just a, the utmost respect for you and what you guys are doing and shout out to, to Ellie. I hope uh, everybody up there is doing well. Um, where, if people want to reach out to you or kind of see what you're doing, where can they find you online? Uh, they so go to, uh, eastcoastcare.com
1: or, uh, mainstrain.com. Um, they can contact me through there or any of our Instagrams, which are also on those, uh, websites. Um, but, uh, we're, uh, we're very responsive, open to questions and helping out the community. So, uh, Anyone out there that has any questions or needs any help with uh, their
0: grow or whatever it may be, feel free to reach out to us. Yeah, I'm just going to offer a shameless plug for you guys. Is you know I've been working with Mainstream for a couple years. Um, all my equipment, my you know dehumidification, my rock wool, my nutrients, everything. Not only is the customer service great, but unbeatable prices. You your price matching is just next level. So uh, if you're looking for equipment, chances are. Uh, Mainstream carries it and they're going to carry it at one of the most competitive prices. So uh, I've used them personally. I continue to use them. I have no intentions of going anywhere else. Uh, you really helped me level up my game. And I uh, I just say thanks so much. I really appreciate it. And I appreciate you uh, taking the time to come on the show today. Oh, thank you so much. And yeah, like you said, if anyone needs any equipment consultations or
1: anything like that, we are open for that we uh only sell really what we know and use so we make sure to uh come with the knowledge behind that equipment so if anyone needs any help or equipment uh just reach out to us and i appreciate all your support over the years it's it's been uh it's been great absolutely
0: well everybody this has been another episode of cannabis cum laude good buddy of mine dylan proctor you might know him from the founder, as the founder of Mainstream or Maid Men Genetics or East Coast Gear. He does it all, he's one of the GOATs. And uh, again, man, I appreciate the time. No problem, thank you, have a great day. All right, everybody, we'll see you next week. Thanks to our friends here at Rockbox Recording and Production in Rochester, New York. They are a full professional podcast and video studio designed by a radio guy for podcasters. Audio, video, voiceovers, editing, whatever. Mouth off at rockbox at rockbox.com.
1: You can follow Cannabis Cum
0: Laude on LinkedIn and all other social media platforms, as well as Cannabis. And if you'd like to help support the show, search up Cannabis Cum Laude on Patreon. And of course, all of those links are in the show notes. Thanks for watching and listening.